0: him. read a couple verses. Genesis 2, verse 17. Or verse 15, excuse me. Genesis 2 see Thank you. All right. Uh, so, so one of the things is, as, um, as God has brought me here and, and helped me to see and my weakness and everything, I realize that a lot of times the way I think things are going to happen is not the way it happens in, in the Word of God, right? Uh, and he's really taught me that because my logic is not that great, okay? Usually when I say, hey, I like as bare bones as mankind has ever seen it, isn't it? I mean, just the garden. And and you've probably thought about this. How beautiful must of that garden have been. With everything just like it needed to be. All the beauty in God has made. None of that. You are communing and fellowshipping with God Almighty in the garden. Can you imagine? No distraction or little distraction. There's going to be some. Just you And God in the garden. I mean, it kind of gives you a picture of what heaven may be like, doesn't it? Just you and the Savior. Just spending time together. What a beautiful picture that is. And so God put mankind in the garden. And and God gave them, we're going to look at as we sang about the first and second Adam this morning. The first Adam that came. God gave them this perfect scenario. Couldn't get better than that. I mean, he, he set them up in the garden and he, and he, he communed, he communed, he fellowshiped with them in the garden. Like, like everything was, was exactly as any of us would want it to be. And then God's word was crystal clear because it always is, isn't it? He, he said, you're going to tend the garden, uh, but there's one thing, just one thing. But I'm going to, I'm going to say, don't do one thing. Now you think about that compared to today, right? You're like, man, one thing, really? could not even do that. One thing. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's it. So would you say in this scenario that, uh, that the garden, uh, that the instruction from God, the word of the Lord came? Would you say that that was clear? Yeah, there we go. Okay. I don't I got five points. All right. No, okay. We're gonna go quick, though. If you listen quick, all right. So, 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 yeah. So it was clear. There was, I mean, there was no distractions. There was nothing to to lead them astray or to get them off track. Really, or very little. It was so clear. There was one thing: don't eat from this tree, and you enjoy everything else that I have made. But just stay away from this. So, so the command is given from God, and it's a clear command. Let me ask you this question: Who was the command given to? It's interesting. The command from God was given to Adam, but who did the enemy come to? Hmm. You know, it's an interesting thought because, you know, when it comes to the word of God, you see, a lot of times if we are content with just getting information from other people instead of getting into the word ourselves, it's a lot easier to have that word manipulated in our life, isn't it? And so many times you and I do that. We're like, oh, I, uh, I heard a guy say, uh, someone said it at a church back home. They said, and I was the pastor, and I thought, oh, my goodness, you don't need to say this. But uh, nonetheless, he said, uh, yeah, I figured if the preacher said it, it's good enough for me. And I said, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, like, you. Like, you get into the Word, don't take what any person says. I mean, they they hopefully wouldn't lead you astray on purpose, but listen, you need to be in the Word yourself. Because the Word of God, the Word of the Lord, came to Adam, and he said, don't eat from the tree. You enjoy, we will fellowship, there's this relationship, but just don't eat so and what is taking place because you know that when the enemy comes at us to attack if we leave any crack if we're going to take it upon ourselves to say then that's what you need to follow and you- chill So this is what he says in verse number four. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God hath done d- doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. Now you think about that appeals to the logic of Eve, because Eve is probably thinking, oh, I have such a, an awesome God. Surely he would want to withhold something from us. Why would he not want us to have this? You see, if he can get your mind thinking and you may say, well, God's a good God. Think about our world today. God is a loving God, so he must allow all of these things because he's a loving God. So everything is open. You choose. You lead. It can be more than one or two genders. You can reorganize the family however you want to because God's Really change his tactics too much. It's just in different time periods. So he goes to Eve and he says, that's not, you know God. He probably, God wouldn't kill him. I mean, you can think about how it would be presented, right? You're not—you're not gonna die. I mean, that's not the God that you know. That's not the God that you serve. That's not the God that put you in this garden and created you to have this fellowship with Him. That's not—that's not the same God. You, he said you would die, but He probably didn't mean that. He just knows you're gonna see things in a different perspective in life but you're not really gonna—you're not really gonna die. And I want to tell you, Church, that if you I separate ourselves from diligent searching of the scripture, we will believe those kind of lies from the enemy as well. Because those lies of the enemy are still circulating in our world today. The lies of the enemy that says that God is. God He redefines the words that God has set in place. That word love is one of the ones that's really redefined in our world today. But you know, in the Greek it's very clearly defined. It's defined a lot better than it is in the English. Uh, but but it's being redefined. Oh, so much of Scripture is being redefined and changed in order to accommodate what we think. If you and I are not diligently studying and searching, we're not being good disciples, it's so easy. Even if you've been in church your whole life for that enemy to come in and say, that's not what God really meant. Or, well, that's what he meant back then, but that's not what he means today. Let me tell you, if you say that about God, you're basically saying that God doesn't know all things. He's not sovereign that he's not omnipotent, omniscient, that he's not that kind of God. Because to say that God didn't get it right when he spoke it the first time is to be talking about a different God than I know. Because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His truth is absolute. As if, if you read the Word, the things that we discover in the Word, they don't change. Like, they are still the things. We talked on Wednesday night about idolatry. We still live in a world with idolatry all around. makes sense. It just makes sense to do it this way. I remember. I'll give you a, an example that we we were uh, at the church in, in, in uh, where we're Kentucky. Yeah, at the church in Kentucky. Uh, we I can't believe I forgot that. Shame on me. But uh, at the church in Kentucky. Uh, we had. Uh, I was blessed to be discipling uh, some couples after church on Wednesday night. Uh, but I thought I really felt like I didn't talk to God enough about it. I just felt like we needed a bus ministry, like the church. Like there's there's apartments and neighborhoods we could have this bus ministry. Someone donated a van, and it was like we could have a lot of kids if we had a bus ministry, and we went to pick the kids up. But guess what happens when you have an idea like that and you say it in a church setting? Your idea, you lead the way, right? And so I started with this bus ministry, getting kids, taking kids home. Guess what happened to that discipleship group that we were meeting meeting with and spending time digging deep into the word? They all faded away. It didn't stay together not that they faded away not that they're not still faithful but the reality was in that moment i realized that i had gotten it wrong because these were younger believers that we were having an intentional time in the word and i had this stray thought and i was like oh well this must be what we need to do but in the process of doing that well, i was missing out on what god was already doing because i logically thought hey if we're going to get more we got to go get them and it was like well i'll go get them And you know, in the grand scheme of things, I may not see how that impacts them for the long haul. but God knows. How easy is it for us to to be all over the place and wiry, you know, example here, and and not just be focused into what is God's will and God's way. And then miss out on what God really has for his church. Because we're going all the wrong directions and we're not asking him. We're using our logic and thought. There's a thousand good things we can do. But then there's God's way. And they don't always look the same. Right? They're not always in the same area. They're not always going the same direction. They're not always the same for everybody. Like We we are inundated with good ideas and good things. There's, There's all kinds of missions to be a part of. There's all kinds of ministries to be a part of. There's so many people in Fairfield, Ohio that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But some of them, God would say, Rolling Hills, I want you to do this. But some of them, he may say, Fairfield First Baptist, I want you to go here. He's got a large network, doesn't he? Of families, of believers. And we have to make sure and be in tune to what he's saying for us. What does God want us to do? What direction does he want us to go? And not use, oh, there's a thousand things to do. Because in the thousand things to do, we end up not doing any of them well. Right? And this is... Pod calling the kettle black, okay. I'm not I'm not calling any I'm saying that this is um, and so he appeals to her logic, and she, she just soaks it in. So, so the, as we read on down, we see that and when a woman saw that the, the, the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired, to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat, and the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Where everything really changes. Once her logic was was appealed to and they made this mistake, they realized something was wrong. And when God came, comes back around in verse number 8, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now, everything had changed with their relationship with God because sin had entered into the picture. And so you see clearly here when everything else is stripped away, what sin does with our relationship with God, it is a separator, isn't it? The God that they would have once run to and said, oh, I, I love you and I'm so glad to, to, to spend this time and this intimacy with you. Now they are realizing they are naked and they are running and hiding from the great creator that has put them in this beautiful garden and has been with them all along the way. Now the answer is running. a conviction that keeps us away. Last last week in Isaiah, Isaiah found himself in the presence of God and he was broken. I think sometimes with mankind, we are so afraid of what we'll see if we truly turn it all over to God that we run and hide too. God, you hear a word of scripture and you hear a passage and you say, man, that's convicting. I know that he's speaking to me. I know it's like he prepared the message for me. And that's never the case. It's all Say those dark the closer that we get to God, the closer we become like more, we become like Christ. What do you think Paul said, I am the chiefest of sinners? You and I would look at Paul and say, Paul, I don't think you got that one right, right? I mean, you are on fire. The Spirit is working through you. I mean, the Lord is just moving through you mightily. There's many that are getting saved. There's miracles that are being done. But Paul had such an intimacy with the Savior that when you are that close to the light, It exposes the true sinfulness of your heart. You know, when Isaiah found himself in the presence of God, and and some of us may not want that Isaiah experience where we are just exposed in its entirety for who we are. Because in that moment, the only thing to cry out is, "Woe is me. Because I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, a woman of unclean lips, and I dwell in the, in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You see, I, I, they read and hid, but everything that I'm seeing them do, and I'm like, man, Lord, this is what we do. This is how we act. This is the tendency for us. Your word is so true and so faithful forever. And they, and they go and hide, and here's what they do when they are, when they are called out, because God crazy to think that we can escape from God and you don't know where we're at and what we're doing, but we can't hide from God. Like, that's the craziest thing ever, right? Uh, And so they run and hide and God finds himself and look at what happens. God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I hear thy voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, here it goes. You know, you get to this passage and people say, well, see, it was Eve's fault. But who responded to God first? Adam did. Who did the word of God come to in the garden? Adam. So Adam responds first here. And the man said, the woman... Whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. But we're not done. Okay, woman, Eve, and the Lord's God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent, beguiled me, and I did eat. <laughs> so what did they do? They played the blame game. God, it wasn't me. You know, I was there, but I didn't ain't the one that got it first. It was that woman. You remember, God, you made the woman. You created. I mean, God, she, she made me do it, right? So God looks at the woman, and the woman's like, oh, well, you know, that serpent, Lord. I mean, you also made the serpent, and I don't know why he's here. I don't know why you, but the serpent gave it to me. I mean, serpents, it's his fault. It's the serpent's fault. You see, if we can pass the buck, we don't ever have to take the blame on ourselves. We always can justify it away and think someone else did it. But at the foundation of all these accusations, who are they really blaming? God. God made woman. God made the serpent. it's actually not just one-sided most of the time there's multiple angles to see it from and a lot of times the place that I find myself is somewhere in the middle when someone comes and says well I have this struggle and someone says on this side I said look I can see both sides We see that in this scenario, with this first Adam, that that God has put them in a perfect place. We see that there is this place of paradise that they they have the privilege to dwell. God has created things in this amazing way, and it enters mankind. But mankind begins really early to make the same mistakes that we're making even today. But look at God's faithfulness. Because the first Adam failed, but there's going to be another Adam. Right? Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 15. There's going to be another Adam. And the next Adam is going to come in to an imperfect place. And he's going to come in for an imperfect people that are inundated with mistake and sinfulness, that are, that are immersed in it, not, not righteous or good, uh, but sinners but this next Adam comes into an imperfect place. But in the midst of an imperfect place, he lives perfectly. You see, the the amazing aspect of the second Adam, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is that unlike the first Adam who had everything kind of lined out for them, they were in a perfect place. or They were in this place of paradise. It was a beautiful place. They Adam wasn't going to die, but he was going to die. They would die if they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You remember that? But originally that wasn't the case. The second Adam came to die. Because one of the things that the second Adam realized was that, that, that we needed rescue because we had failed so much and sin had overtaken us and consumed us and was, was ruling our life, our logic, our thought, our all was leading us down the wrong path. And so God in his faithfulness, even though we missed it the first time when the stage was set, God said, I still love you, which blows my mind, even though you've made mistakes and you've fallen short and you've struggle really just to get it right. I still love you. There's not a greater love that we'll ever know than that kind of love. Because when we missed it, God didn't stop. We didn't. When we beaten in him. A crown of thorns, cat of nine tails, 39 lashes, beaten nearly to death. And he never missed a beat for mankind that had gotten it wrong from the very beginning. And they took him down off the cross and they put him in the tomb and we know what happens that in three days, glory to God, it never loses, or hopefully it will never lose. It's excitement. I them all. do that, are we really surrendered to him? Not really. True surrender says your rights are gone. You've given them to another. So I think out of this passage today, the challenge is this. Well, several challenges I think, and we didn't even probably hit them all, but one challenge is you, you you and I have got to be in the Word of God. We have got to stay tethered to the Word of God in everything we do. We got to make sure that we remove from our thoughts and from our mouth, yeah, I know the word of God says this, but when you say that word, but you just need to stop altogether and say the word of God says this. That's where it needs to stay. It's not my job. It's not your job to manipulate and change the word of God and to take away as we see fit for our culture, for our time. We don't have the authority to do that, and it's a perfect word. It doesn't need to be done. But also, I think it's an evaluation of where are we in our relationship. I mean, can you can you feel the hesitancy to surrender all? There's a hymn, I Surrender All. I'm not going to sing it because you all leave rapidly, but uh, Surrender All. I think what Jesus calls for in our life is not a piece of you because we really don't have a piece to give. All that we have to give is all. We need his redemption, we need salvation, we need rescue, because we aren't good or righteous, but we are sinners. All of us are sinners, and we are in desperate need of a Savior to rescue us from our sin, and to forgive us, and to make us new. Like, we need that, because the first Adam failed. Is such a, a sweet time. But but I want you to know that it's not, it's not a time to have any pride in our lives. It's not a time to say, I know that God wants me to do, but I'm not willing. Because really, it has nothing to do with any what anybody else sees. It has everything to do with your relationship with Christ. It has everything to do with what the Spirit of God may be leading you to do this morning in this time. And it's not something that ends when the song stops. It's something that may continue for days and weeks to come where God, in the power of his spirit, can fix your soul, can fix your heart, and he breaks it. And he says, listen, I I, I want different. I want better. You need to repent. And it doesn't mean that just it's only going to last when the music's playing. Because sometimes it seems to last for days and days and days as God shows himself. So as we go into a time of invitation, the altars are open. It's open right where you are. But I want to say this. I want to challenge you with this. Whether you are lost this morning and you say, I know that I've never surrendered to Jesus, you come. Lay yourself down before the throne and cry out to the one that can save you. Or whether you're here today and you say, I've never really surrendered. And, and there are areas of my life even where I know that I still hold back some. And maybe you're here today and you say, I haven't surrendered. I haven't been repenting. I know that there are pockets that I don't want to be exposed. I want to say that at the altar of sacrifice, in the presence of God, that's the place to expose these things. Yeah, don't expose them to just anybody but expose them to the great physician and the king of the throne. Nobody else can heal them like he can. No one else can forgive them like he can. But it isn't a time to say, "Uh, you know, I I know that I need to, but I'll get to it another day. You don't know that another day is an option. We operate in a lot of assumption until our days are done and no more assumptions are left. all going to stand before God one day, and we're going to give an account. You will never give an account to me, but you will all give an account to him. There's nobody that's exempt from that. We're all going to be before him, and the question is not, well, what do other people see? The question is not, am I as good as this person, or are they worse than me? The question is, are you like Jesus, the second Adam? Or, do you relate more to what the first Adam did? The question is, where is your relationship with Christ is morning? Non-existent? Slacking? All the things that I can't help you with, I can only guide you to the one that can, He can take care of me. But He doesn't force you. because love says, want to, because of who He is, and because of what He's done. So i to pray for us this morning, and I just pray that that we would always be a church that lays ourselves down at His feet. Because that's what it takes. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just come to You today. Even in the midst of sin and Disobedience, we see your overwhelming faithfulness. Lord, us, we see your love for us, for mankind that has missed the Lord so many times, even from a place like the Garden. But God, your love is so unconditional, so amazing that we cannot understand it to the fullest terms and depths that that you extended to us. And Lord, you deserve our life. You don't deserve a peace. You don't deserve if we have time for us to give you time. You don't deserve to share it with anything else. There's no other right response other than laying our whole life. At your feet. Because that's what our Savior did for us. When you came down and sent your Son in the flesh, He left it all here, He laid it all down. Lord, help us to be found faithful. Oh, <laughs>